Welcome to the Individualist Podcast. It's episode four of the Individualist Podcast. Today, we have our first guest of the show, Jose Galison. He is the host of the No Way Jose Podcast. You can find him on YouTube. The channel name is No Way Jose. He is also a creator for the YouTube channel called The Liberty Movement. He is an agorist, anarchist, and I am very happy to have him on the show. Welcome, Jose. How you doing? I'm doing all right. You? I'm doing great. Oh, you're, are you uh, getting pummeled by the cold weather, freezing your pipes and everything? Are you in a spot where it's not hurting you too bad? No, I'm in Florida, so it's oh, okay. Um, uh, we're we're chilling. <laughs> I'm in Georgia. We're not getting too much. Uh, we're not getting too bad anyway. It's cold, but it isn't too bad. So, you're a podcaster. You host No Way Jose. So I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. What 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 ideology do you follow? What do you consider yourself? Uh, I mean, for people who have gone down this road, you know, that's a kind of a loaded question because I could give you probably 20 <laughs> different terms that apply to myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, broadly speaking, I would say you could say libertarian. But like, if we're going to go specific, I'm an anarchist. I'm I consider myself an ANCAP. I'm an agorist. Um, I, I'm sure I could think of more labels, voluntarist. But, you know, th- those will, should suffice, you know. Yeah, I kind of feel I don't. I call myself an Austro-Libertarian because it emphasizes the Austrian economics aspect of it, but I'm not really particular on what labels people use for me. And Cap, Rothbardi, and Libertarian. Normally when people, you call, people are calling you those things, they all mean the same thing anyway, except for certain you know, Libertarian socialists or whatever, which I'm not really interacting with too much on Twitter or any, anything like that anyway. So it really just comes down to who I'm talking to. Or right. What yeah. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't like the term anarcho-capitalism too much uh, because of the negative connotations of capitalism. Some people don't like it. Some people say you need a state for capitalism. So anarcho-capitalism is inherently a contradiction, which I don't agree with. But people have different definitions for what capitalism is. So that's where that comes from. Yeah, agorist seems to be a good term for those purposes for as of late. So if you're dealing with like a, because that would be if you're talking to like an ANCOM or somebody mm-hmm. along, or a socialist or whatever, you're going to have those issues. But if I say agorist, then we can kind of get on this like, because agorist kind of weirdly kind of floats in the middle and a lot of people aren't familiar with it. So that's a good term for dealing with lefties, you know? Sure, man. <laughs> so what what do you think agorism is or what do you consider it to be? How, why do you call yourself an agorist? What is that? Uh, I mean, why is it, I feel of it, it's like weirdly a subset of ANCAP, but then also it's all, it's also a subset of other stuff as well, but I see it through that lens, but it's, I see it more as like a tactical thing for mm-hmm. me. I don't really necessarily buy into that. You know, we're going to be able to get where we want to go by utilizing the political system. Right. I understand people will, and it is what it is. I'm, I'm not like someone who rages or am I allowed to swear on here? Cause just, just curious. I don't know. PG 13. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll tone it down then. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> Um, I I have a potty mouth. So I, I do too. It's tough. tough <laughs> but um, God, yeah, no, it's more of a tactical thing. I don't think we're gonna make it going the political route. It's not mm-hmm. gonna. I don't think that's the the path to liberty. I mean, so I don't think it's moving things in a positive direction. 
but I will admit, like, I know a lot of people get into, like, oh, well, the, the LP or the LPMC or whatever. Like, I mean, I'm not, like, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. I, I don't, it's not like something I rage about. I could be wrong. But mm. I, I guess I would prefer someone be involved in the LP or LPMC or whatever than to be, like, Republican or Democrat. I do feel like you're going the wrong way, but it's less bad is the way I see it. So, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, yeah, it's more of a tactical thing. I also believe it's also the, the aspect of the agorists believe in, like, the tactics the correct way to get there is essentially to through economic means by subverting economically so i mean i really and it's also like a frame of mind thing too because once you because a lot of people don't want to like cheat their taxes or you know where they can i'm not saying be an yeah. idiot and get locked up but like they don't want to because it's almost like a moral thing for them and it's like a big part of that is like no there's nothing you should be ashamed of like mm-hmm. I, I mean don't get me wrong i like you should like claim the taxes that you might get busted on you know, like, yeah. but if you are in a spot where you're like, there's no way they'll know about this, why would you? you know? like, <laughs> it's it's a it's a, just a frame of mind thing. Uh, I feel like a lot of even anarchist libertarian types still kind of fall into that trap of like feeling bad about doing something that's illegal. It's like, yeah, you, you shouldn't like I mean, as long as it's not immoral, I, I don't I don't care, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. So you're excited about this. Being an agorist, you're super excited about things like cryptocurrency, 3D printed guns and the like. I'm super excited about them, but the ironic thing is I'm like, I mean, I have a podcast, so a lot of people wouldn't realize, but I'm, I'm a horrible tech person. Like I'm a mechanic, mechanic by trade. Oh, so like, too. oh yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm not, um, I, I'm not super good with the tech. Um, and, uh, yeah. So like, I, I actually am not in Bitcoin or 3d printing. I'm, I keep trying to ease into it, but it's just such a daunting thing for me. I just did the episode with Sal recently and that was actually partially for my purposes so that I could kind of learn more about uh, crypto. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. But the funny thing is I, I've still watched, I've seen like a million, uh, like podcasts on crypto, but I'm just such a tech idiot. That's just so daunting. But yeah, no, I am super excited about the prospects of those things. But like for me personally, I haven't engaged and I know I should just, I guess more me being kind of pansy and not really wanting to, <laughs> get into something that scares me which is tech but uh yeah which actually kind of prevented me from doing podcasts for a while just because i'm like all this <laughs> stuff is kind of daunting but i get it i consider myself a tech novice i wouldn't call myself a tech idiot like you're doing I, you're probably cutting yourself a little bit short there but uh i'm not really in crypto myself but i am excited about it for the prospects of just the state no longer having a monopoly on money is such a huge path for a lot of different things for freedom and 3D printed guns, I mean, the possibilities are endless. But you can't stop files on the internet from being spread around. And that's been proven in practice. And that's all they are. You get your hands on a 3D printer, what are they going to do? Ban 3D printers? I mean, that's, you kind of walk on a weird line with that stuff. So I don't think, I've already got a few guns. I'm not too worried about that being an issue for me. But I am excited that this is something that's out there. And gun proliferation is going to be a lot easier with 3D printed, uh, 3D printing technology. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely excited about all that. I know we kind of get a weird spot because then people go, oh, well, the state will crack down. And it's kind of like they have in a lot of places. Like uh, I think Bitcoin is kind of restricted in like China, for example. Mm-hmm. But it's like from my understanding, I'm talking on my butt a little bit. But, you know, I know that they have workarounds and it's not that hard, you know, like. I'm sure you get a VPN, you do a few other easy steps. And I, this is coming from someone who's like an admitted tech idiot. It's <laughs> like, it seems pretty easy to find workarounds, you know? Right. So, I mean, there's only so much you can do, especially when something's global like this, you know, that's the beauty mm-hmm. of the internet too. So, you know. And that it's blockchain, it's encrypted. The feds can't get their hands on it. Mm-hmm. That's another huge deal. Civil asset forfeiture is a big problem for me that I'm sure for you too, anybody who's in this libertarian stuff, 
civil asset forfeiture is an absolute travesty. And if people are starting to get into Bitcoin, that's pretty much going to be impossible for money, at least. Obviously, property is a different subject, but for money, if you're if we start shifting toward a crypto society, that would be pretty cool. Um, oh, for sure. So you're an agorist, libertarian, ANCAP. What age were you when you became politically aware? I mean, I don't know. It's kind of always been something that semi-interested me pretty much, I don't know, from a fairly-ish young age, maybe like late teens, early 20s. I mean, I was definitely very caught up in like, you know, I mean, uh, having fun, party and stuff in high school. So I wasn't like too overly concerned about it, but I've kind of always been a little bit interested, but I don't know. Maybe early 20s would probably be a good way to answer that. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I, I kind of came from a religious conservative home. And uh, I wouldn't like I like to say we're, we were neocons, but we kind of, that's kind of almost not fair because we didn't we didn't even really have that strong of an opinion because it wasn't right. something that we like really paid too much attention to. I do remember listening to like Rush Limbaugh, which is topical. He just died today. Yeah. Um, but like I remember listening to Rush Limbaugh in the car on my way to school and stuff like that and, you know, other similar personalities. So it was I kind of grew up in that ilk, you know, so but so I guess I was kind of always interested in a cursory sense but it was never anything that was like super important to me yeah it's hard to call yourself a neocon when you're not raw raw american power patriotism type of deal so i guess yeah you may have been a neocon but a shy neocon but even then like you said neocon's not really a fair classification at that point uh what was your first exposure to libertarianism uh, i mean i know a lot of people have this like magical moment but like I don't really remember the moment. Like, you know, everybody's like the Giuliani moment with Ron Paul. Mm -hmm. I would say it was probably Ron Paul because I do remember him. Like, he was probably around, like, high school. I vaguely remember, like, seeing him here and there and liking a lot of his stances. And he interested me. But I didn't have some magical moment. But it was like it kind of got slowly introduced to that through him. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, not to jump ahead. I don't know how you have this plan. But, I mean, really the big thing that kind of cracked it open for me was I actually was my religious thing because I went from being – like I grew up in a, like I went to a Christian school and stuff and I kind of started losing my faith at some point, you know, right. essentially. And then I started kind of getting interested in like learning, like, well, is this legit? Is this not? And I kind of went down the whole atheist path. And from there I learned a lot of like logical tools and fallacies and stuff like that. And it was actually funny enough that that then was like the way that kind of got me thinking more libertarian ish. Cause I was kind of more like conservatarian ish at yeah. that time, you know, like I was like, basically a Republican, but with like, you know, like the generic Republican, but you know, people should be able to smoke weed, but yeah. I didn't have any principled stance on the matter, you know? Right. And it was from like my religious, like essentially deconversion, like not even conversion, but kind of losing my faith and then kind of looking into, should I lose my faith or not? I kind of became a full blown, like essentially atheist. Mm -hmm. And like through that, it's funny. Cause I say that like the logical tools I learned from that is what got me out of theism and being an atheist. And the funny thing is, like, the atheist community just doesn't do the same thing. Like, they apply it to God, but they won't apply those same logical principles to the government. Uh-uh. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah. So it's like, I know a lot of people accuse, like, well, atheists just replace one religion for another. Like, yes, a lot of them did. Mm -hmm. A lot of them, it's just, it's, they don't apply their logical principles to their government. For some reason, it's like they can apply it all to God, and it all makes <laughs> sense. But once you apply it to the government, like, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you being able to doubt authority in via religion that kind of opened up the door for you to start doubting authority vis-a-vis -vis the state pretty much basically yeah and that's kind of and really it's just kind of what got me thinking more really it's kind of what more trained me in logic like i hadn't mm. really been trained in logic at all before that point because like i just like 
I mean, I would, I knew things and, you know, I went to school, but it's not like they, it's not like school goes through and teaches you fallacies. Right. It's not like they, you know, if, if a equals B, then B, you know, whatever, like they don't, they don't teach you these things. So like, it, it, I just didn't, I didn't even really know how to think before I did that. And it was really just like questioning my faith and like me being like, am I wasting my time doing this? Like, why should I even, it was more just my parents would always hassle me and be like, well, it says in John three. 18 or whatever this and that and i'd be like and then i'd have to go down like well let me look into it and so that got me in the whole realm of logic and then logical fallacies but which that wasn't even like a thing before then so it was like i didn't have any like my thoughts on matters weren't grounded in any principle basis they were just you know uh, roughly kind of vaguely what i think and that was kind of what started getting me in that realm of like thinking about principles and logic and such you know yeah you know funnily enough something you being or I was going to say converted to atheism, but that's not really a proper way to put it. You yeah. losing your religion, so to speak, led you to libertarianism, where there's a lot of Christians in this country who are absolute full-blown neocons and support bombing the hell out of the Middle East, and they don't care that those people worship the same God. They can't put that together. So maybe that... I, I'm not I'm not a Christian. I, I was raised Catholic, but I'm, I'm not an atheist. I consider myself an agnostic. Uh, so not to get into the, there's a lot of atheist libertarians that just bash Christianity no matter what. I'm sorry, we say something. Yeah, I just want to clear up. When I say atheist, to be fair, I should say agnostic, but mm. a lot of people don't realize is like agnostic and atheist are actually answers to two different questions. So right. I'm an agnostic atheist. So you're exactly right. Yeah. So I don't assert there is no God. I just, but I, you know, I don't believe there's a God. I don't so, think there like, is one. Right. Yes, because like. Uh, just for people listening, because a lot of people get all stuck on this, you know, it, whether you're a theist or an atheist is a question of belief. So mm -hmm. you're, if you believe in God, you're a theist. If you don't believe in God, you're an atheist. But now when it comes to now, Gnosticism or agnosticism is a matter of knowing. Right. So if you know there's a God, you're a Gnostic, or, or know there is or isn't a God, you're a Gnostic. And if you don't know or, or you there's a God or isn't a God, then you're an agnostic. So really, I think like no matter whether you're theist or atheist, I actually think to be a Gnostic in any regard really is actually essentially logically foolish. Yeah. So like, I mean, if you're an agnostic, like I kind of can't respect necessarily a Gnostic atheist or theist really. The so Gnostic if you're an agnostic – Huh? I was the Gnostic atheists can get really annoying. That's what I was going. That's what I was going to go into. Like I'm not yeah. trying to do any Christian bashing or anything, but the lack of logic that the people in the Middle East they do worship the same God. Jesus is in their their book as well. He's not their main prophet, but Jesus is a highly respected figure in the Muslim faith. And the fact that these Christian evangelicals who happen to be neocons just can't put that together and say, well, maybe this isn't right, is a really it's a puzzle to me, and I, I can't figure it out. I think it's just a matter of no one really has principles. It was kind of what I was going into earlier that like, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I think I was talking before that I talked to Vin and it's kind of the age of magic where it's like, you know, you just need to learn how to be able to deal with these sheep and kind of like essentially use magic in your speech and how to convince people one way or the other, because trying to do this thing we've been doing forever of like, well, this principle or that principle, people generally aren't principled. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing. So that's why you have religious neocons, which, I mean, like, not, I know I said I'm an atheist. I'm not one who necessarily, I kind of went through my angry atheist phase. I don't really try to bash Christians or anything anymore. Like, it's whatever. I, I mean, as long as you're not a Gnostic in either regard, if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic a uh, theist and you believe there's a God, but you don't assert it, cool. We can probably be, I don't really care. But, but at the same time, if you, that's your principles you buy into and you buy into the principles of Jesus 
in like that line of thinking and you're also somehow a neocon it's just i don't get how you square that circle but that comes back to how we were i was just saying that no one has principles right they wouldn't even recognize that there is a hypocrisy there because in their mind the principles don't exist in the first place exactly so what kind of i know you you said ron paul was a sort of a catalyst for you getting involved in this stuff do you have any like what I like reading Rothbard. I like reading Bastiat. Even though Bastiat wasn't expressly an anarchist, he was a radical minarchist, I would say. Are there people that you started to read and started to get more into this? Who are, the, who are your favorites whenever, off the top of your head? Who do you like to read in this anarchism, libertarianism stuff? Well, I guess we can kind of tie this back into my development. Really, the big yeah. part of my development, I know you kind of were, I feel like we, you were kind of like inching at like, you know, what was your moment? And I know a lot of people have a moment. I didn't have a moment from becoming a libertarian. My moment was becoming an anarchist. Mm. And so my moment, and that came from reading, which came from, really was, I listened, I've been listening to Dave Smith podcast for forever, the part of the problem. Yeah. And he always went on about anatomy of the state with Rothbard. And I just was not someone who even really read. I mean, I would read comics here and there. Uh, but nothing like too crazy. I wouldn't read any like, you know, philosophy and stuff. And then just him going on about it forever and ever. It was just finally his like cult of personality that drew me into like, you know, what? I should read this book. And I kind of was at that at that point. I was like a minarchist, like kind of constitutionalist. Right. And so like I read Anatomy of State and a big part of Anatomy of State is like he just kind of points out the logical flaws in that this would even work at all. And like and he kind of did focus a lot on the founding and the Constitution and just like how power will just naturally over time, just no matter what, like you can wish all you want and be like constitution's this great document. And if we only just did that, if we only just did this and it's like, but the problem is, you know, we're not just like wishing that is just wishing on a star. Like you hoping mm -hmm. that people just go back to the constitution. It's like, that's not going to happen. Like if, if only people did good things and not bad things, like, yeah, of course, <laughs> it's just, of it's course. Just wishful thinking, <laughs> you know? So that's kind of what Nanny State really drove home for me. And that's, that was that. I mean, I, I, you know, with reading though, like that was my big book. Probably my other big you know, transformational book was probably uh, Konkin's books, you know, obviously, you know, Agorist Primer, uh, New Libertarian Manifesto, and then uh, Agorist Class Primer. They were all great. He's a great uh, author. Um, Rothbard, him, God, Larkin. Larkin's great. Uh, Superstition, uh, Most Dangerous Superstition is a great book. Obviously, Spooner. I've read like everything of Spooner. That was those. Those were probably I'd say probably the ones that were those transformational. You know, I think I I, li I think I literally read Anatomy of the State, and I think I read uh, No Treason After. Mm -hmm. And so like I basically just you know did a one two on whatever delusion I had of the Constitution. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one that he just destroys the Constitution yeah. with one line, and I've done that to my boomer con neocon coworkers. It's like, look, I asked them a question to set it up. Is the government acting under the Constitution right now? And obviously the answer is no. No conservative would answer yes. Oh, I, I would hope not at least. And then when they inevitably say, no, of course not, then I say, well, then the Constitution has failed to stop them from acting outside of the Constitution. So, But, what, but if we act constitutionally, then that wouldn't be a problem. It's just exactly. a circular thing. <laughs> right. You know. If we just vote in people that want to want to do the constitutional <laughs> stuff, you know, <laughs> just put in the right people. Yeah. So. You know, I I kind of feel like you you have the same thing where you skipped a few steps. Am I wrong in saying that? How's that? What do you mean? Well, you for the example that I gave on the on the blog post in the episode I did on this was that I was I was a neocon when I was like a kid because I liked the military and explosions and killing the bad guys and then. 
in short, I started taking the first anti-war stance of my life because it was a way to criticize the Obama administration. And you kind of use that as a cudgel to beat, uh, you know, beat my friends over the head with who liked Obama. And I was like, well, look at the wars he's getting us involved in. He got his, he's bombing Syria. What are we doing in Syria? It wasn't principled at all. It was just the fact that Obama was doing something that I, I didn't like Obama. So whatever he did was bad. So I, I went from that and then I became like, sort of like you just said, a constitutional conservative. And then discovered the band backwards have you heard of backwards yeah yeah i actually i i knew of eric july for forever i didn't like start listening to his music until like well after i was like deeply entrenched so it didn't really have any movement on me in that way and uh but i do i mean i'd known eric july before that you know but yeah, yeah through that, other stuff they introduced me to the concept of anarcho-capitalism and i was like oh i jumped right into that so what i mean by skipping a few steps is a lot of people that go from boilerplate conservative to sort of paleoconservative, they discover somebody like Pat Buchanan or, or somebody that leads them to that. And then maybe they'll discover Milton Friedman and then, you know, sort of boilerplate libertarianism. And then they'll discover the more radical libertarians or the radical minarchists like Ron Paul and then discover anarchism. So it's like a logical progression there. But I jumped straight from a weird paleocon stance to pretty much anarcho-capitalism, and I feel like that's weird. Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like it's too weird. I mean, it's we actually sound very similar because uh, we're. I mean, how old are you? If you don't I'm mind. I'm 25. Asking? Yeah, so you said you're uh, 25. I'm 29. So I was kind of in that like, I was kind of the same spot of like, um, you know, coming off of Bush going into Obama. I was very much in that like. I mean, I wasn't necessarily pro-war, but I wasn't necessarily anti-war either. I was kind of just in an iffy spot, and then the Obama administration from this like conservative-ish, conservatarian lens kind of just hypocritically kind of just made me be like, right. you know, fuck Obama, you know, or dang, I forget. That's fine. 13. <laughs> That's fine. But uh, screw Obama, you know, that, you know, look at him getting us all this war stuff. And like, it was over that time that I kind of couldn't change. And it was probably like, you know, maybe midway to like three quarters of the way through Obama that I did have that transition. And like you said, you know, you, it is like, I feel like it was weird for me. It was a smooth, slow transition from, conservative to like full-on minarchist but then it was like i stayed at minarchist for like ever for like mm. ever and then it was like and then once i did it, it was like a switch it was like a quick jump but it is like because like the way i see the minarchist to anarchist jump at least for me in my head the way i thought of it was like for me i got to the point as a minarchist where i accepted government as a necessary evil right now the problem was the jump from uh, minarchist to anarchist was just a simple of simple idea of just like realizing that it wasn't necessary. Right. That was it. I mean, I already accepted it was evil mm -hmm. in which that, that's kind of my line. Not to go on too much of a side with Minarchist. Like I'm, you know, me and Minarchist. Oh, go ahead, man. Cool. Go off. Yeah. Me and Minarchist, we can be cool. So long as you agree that it's evil. If you yeah. can't like agree that it, like I understand being caught up in whether it's necessary or not. That's just more of a logistical thing. But as long as you can be like, you know, it's evil. It's kind of the whole Murray Rothbard essay, you know, do you hate the state? Do you hate the state? Yeah. That's right. So like if, if you if you hate the state, if you can admit it's evil, if at the very least you can admit it's evil, that's kind of all I really need. And yeah. at the very least, you know, you know that this is like, this is bad, but for some reason you think the bad thing must happen. Right. I mean, the, the, the jump from Minicus to Anarchist is just a matter of like, finally coming to terms with 
I guess either one that if that it can't be done, I don't care. Cause there are some people who do like, are just like, well, I don't care whether they can figure it out or not. I mean, it'll happen. You know what I mean? It's bad. So it shouldn't happen. Or right. just a matter of accepting that logistically it's a possibility because, right. you know, now I'm full at the point there's, there's just no logical reason why a free society can't happen. I exactly. mean, aside from just a matter of the people. And it's just a matter of once people lose that illusion of authority, you know? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. The line that I would hear from my, relatively conservative like I, I had a teacher in high school when I was in ninth grade she taught me world geography and then whenever I was in 11th grade I believe she taught us American history and the line she said that she felt the purpose of government was to provide for people what they could not nece- what they could not reasonably provide for themselves and when I thought back on that into my journey into anarchism it's like well what what can people not provide for themselves and then it all started to fall apart it was like well I can't think of anything And some of them, a lot of those are harder to answer than others, obviously. Just like with anything in in any philosophy, there's always issues that are a lot more difficult to solve. But uh, the military and police and stuff, and courts in particular, and the law, that's something that uh, if you're you're not familiar with this guy, you're probably familiar with him. This is addressed to the listeners, not to you, because I know for sure you know who this is, is uh, Dr. Robert P. Murphy. He's a guy that's got a lot of great lectures on this stuff. The Market for Security is the name of the lecture that he gives all the time at the Mises University program. Uh, So I want to say I have a bit of a beef with minarchists that, like you said, don't see the evil. And I think the the difference between like a Ron Paul or a Bastiat, the the radical minarchist, or the Albert J. Knox, like Murray Rothbard referred to in his "Do You Hate the State?" essay, is that radical minarchists they they really do hate the state. They just think that it's an inevitability, and they think that it's just not something we can get rid of because for for what, for for various reasons they each person might have. And a minarchist, I don't know if a moderate minarchist, I guess, would be the appropriate. That would be the, the other side of the coin, radical and moderate, is the moderate Fox thinks. Fox News minarchist. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Sean Hannity is a minarchist. <laughs> but the thing is, is, if you're not a radical minarchist, if you're a moderate minarchist, so to speak, everybody's a moderate minarchist. No person on this planet will tell you in these words, I want a government bigger than is necessary. Like, nobody would say that. Hillary Clinton wouldn't say it. John McCain wouldn't say it. George Bush wouldn't say that. All these people, by that definition, are minarchists. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, either even fucking oh, – dang it. That's even Mal, Mal, Mal Say, I can't, I can't talk good if I don't swear. <laughs> <laughs> even, even Mao Zedong is a, is a, yep. is a minarchist. He just thinks – We just have to kill 40 million people. That's, that's, that's all we have to do, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, that was necessary in his eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, to be fair, maybe he technically didn't think it was necessary because there are certain actors you can say maybe they took power. Yeah. But if they're being principled in their head, a lot of them were – a lot of these big tyrants, a lot of people hate, a lot of them in their head were principled, and they right. were doing what they thought was necessary. I'm sure there were some evil ones who were just straight up doing it for their own good, and, and they knew that wasn't necessary. But there probably are a good chunk of them who legitimately, if you're just accepting that that's, they have that belief system – you know, that that's Dave thought that was necessary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, a big a big thing that helped me out is to fully embracing anarchism is hearing it in terms like voluntary association, voluntarism, things like that. And I recently wrote a blog post about this. Uh, anarchism is not extremism. And that's what I like to say is it's not extreme to be an anarchist. 
99% of your interactions are voluntary, and there is no coercion from the state involved in the vast majority of your relationships, interactions, transactions, or what have you. And the vast majority of those are, they range from neutral to positive. In other words, very few of those things are negative. Very few relationships turn violent. Very few transactions have a negative outcome for either party, et cetera, et cetera. So why is wanting that 1% of coerced, uh, 1% of involuntary association just abolished and wanting the 99% voluntary to become 100% voluntary, why is that considered to be extreme? I don't know. To me, it seems fairly moderate, if you ask me. Yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, they've just cooked the language well. Mm -hmm. you, know, you say anarchist, I say anarchist to my friends, and they and the media immediately evokes, uh, you know, images of Antifa, riots. Right. Um, I mean, hell, there were people who were referring to the Capitol riots as uh, anarchist. Yeah, like, right. like these radical anarchists. Pro-Trump like, anarchists. When I say I'm an anarchist, what I'm saying is that I think that I I think people shouldn't hurt people or that don't that haven't hurt them and don't take their stuff. Exactly. And I think that applies to everyone. I don't mm -hmm. make any exceptions. That's the only difference. You know, like minarchists or just you know statists in general, they make exceptions for that. For some reason, there's a magical yep. entity that gets to break those rules. Yeah, it. my favorite uh, minarchist argument is well, people are bad. There's there's no way we can't have, you know, uh, there's no way we can have a private police force, private military. We have to give awful men. We're all awful, right? We're all awful. That's why we need this police. That's why we need these courts. That's why we need this monopoly on them. But they're failing to make the connection that the same human beings who they view as awful are still going to be in charge of these things. It's just that they're going to have the monopoly on it. Yeah, no, it's the argument that if the uh, if the police we have police forces or insurance agencies or whatever, they'll just become tyrannical and they'll and they'll uh, and they'll take power. It's like you mean exactly what we have now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wouldn't like, warlords take over that picture? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, they have a small point. It's like okay, yeah, sure. I guess if you did it, maybe power could reinstitute itself. But it's like that's not an argument against it. That's just like you know saying this could happen again. Like okay, but wouldn't it be at least better to move in that direction? <laughs> right, right. There's never going to be, you know, there's never going to be not, we're never going to eradicate, well, I shouldn't say never. It's highly unlikely that humans ever eradicate disease. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to be finding the cure for cancer, the cure for ALS, the cure for Alzheimer's and stuff like that. That yeah, That's, that's kind of... That's Go a good ahead. way to put it, because Conk, like for example, Conkin, like his big thing with uh, he points out NLM is like he kind of points out like tactics going forward, and he thinks with like with the uh, like governments or like statism in general that it's gonna it's kind of the same. Like the way he looks at it is like for example, he thinks of the agora coming up, and there will be bubbles of agoras that will eventually grow, and then you know at some point they will become the major entity. But statism or governments will never completely go away yeah. they will just have like isolated spots you know like where it's like there's these maybe there's city states or whatever you know but it's yeah it's it's never going to just magically go away there's always going to because at the end of the day all that this the government really is is coercion so it's like i mean if you have a gang in in a city somewhere that's controlling the area and they're making people pay protection money for all intents and purposes they are a government you know right. like there's no, you know, logical. There's no principal difference between that gang that's controlling a region or the state, because it's that all. It's all it is. So that's what it is. yes, there's there will be places that still exist like that. But you know, if we at least you know, move that way and change people's perception to where that's, you know, they look at that as a gang and that's a negative thing. Exactly. Even if it does exist, at least they recognize that it's not good, 
and that this should be eradicated so that way it's not accepted. Whereas if you accept it, like the state, then it's going to become more pervasive and become this large, huge thing it is. Because it's like Rothbard goes into a lot that that's how the state, he thinks that's how the states started. He went into that anatomy of state is they kind of just were these gangs that took over regions and then just, you know, it cemented their power further and further. But it's like, but you say to some enormity, you know, that the, the state is nothing but a, a gang of criminals. They're just like, what? I mean, like by all by all principled measures, that's all they are. Right. You know, there's no consistent difference aside from the belief of the people. I mean, I guess you could make the consent of the governed argument. And there is some legitimacy to it, because if you're looking at it from a collective mindset, yes. I mean, that is a big thing. Once we lose that consent of the governed, once a a, a critical mass of people finally say no this is not okay then it withers away so there is some truth to that but at the same time i think me as an individual if i don't think that's okay if it i don't agree with the collective having any sort of like influence over me like that. And ideally we get to a point where there are so much individuals with this mindset it's in a sense uh you know a to bring in sterner it's a uh was it a um God, what's his term a, a union of egoists you yeah. know it's a it's a a group of individuals, a collective of individuals. You know? Right, like, right. You know, so, and then we shun off the idea of the state. But, you know, that's – it'll yeah. never go away completely. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned – what you said earlier sounded like radical decentralization. Like, yeah, maybe you have some small city-states here or there. But the fact that the federal government has such power and such reach on the entire country is a major problem for anybody that wants to get away from it. And Jeff Dice – you know Jeff Dice does – Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes. He and uh, another guy at the Mises Institute, Ryan McMakin, had a talk where they discussed how decentralization is helpful. If, not, if for nothing else, then you can move and it won't be an inconvenience for you. Right? Like, whereas now, if you want to get out of the United States, you have to go across an ocean or to a completely different culture. Whereas if you're in, at, let's say, I'm in, I'm in Georgia. I'm not in Atlanta, but just a city that everybody knows. Let's say you're in Atlanta and they're their own little city state. If you move an hour away, you wouldn't have to be under the laws of Atlanta anymore if your situation would, were to arise. So decentralization is is a big step in the right direction, regardless of if states are abolished or not. And decentralization, that point kind of goes hand in hand with nullification as right. well, which a lot of people bring up, you know, like, you know, say me being agorist and like, you know, not believing and going the political world. I'm like, well, what about nullification? And it's like, because I'll point out, you know, that's a political thing, but it's like, I guess that, if anything, like nullification is no different than, I guess, what agorists do on an individual level. So, I mean, Ignoring I'm not necessarily... the laws. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I have no problem with if some state, like, I know there was a big thing recently where there was some state, I think you had in regard to either the gun stuff they were talking about, or it might have been some of the executive orders of Biden, but mm -hmm. they were talking about in whatever state it was that they were, they were not going to... Uh, we're not going to abide by it yeah and it was funny there was someone and i remember it was in the comments with social there was someone in there that was like uh they said something along the lines of like oh well this because it's a federal mandate it supersedes this or that and i'm like and my, my i said like who cares yeah like at the end of the day like i don't care what words are on paper if a state a collective of individuals decide we're not abiding by this and they don't abide by it and then the 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 one trying to put down the rule doesn't enforce it in any yep. meaningful way it doesn't happen and my point was if there's a gun-free zone on sign somewhere and everyone's packing and no one does anything about it that's just a sign what can you do about it right <laughs> that that is agorism it's just ignoring the law pretty much right <laughs> basically so, and and yeah. we've seen that i saw i saw the post i know you're talking about i saw it on twitter too and like the first subtweet i saw was is that legal it's like 
That's not even the point. It doesn't matter if it's legal for a state to ignore federal law. It has precedence in the fact that they do it with drugs. Hell, Oregon just decriminalized harder drugs. Like, am, am I right that it's Oregon? They just decriminalized yeah, like heroin. Yeah, it's and like, the thing is, that wasn't legal. That yeah, was exactly. not legal. Yeah. And it's like, who cares? Like, exactly. Th this whole idea that dice goes into it a lot. I think the I, this metaphor I've used, I can't remember the specifics, but he's used the metaphor a few times where I've seen him where he talks about if you're on the road and the speed limit says 50, but everyone's driving 75, the and speed no one limit's gets pulled 75. over. Yeah. yeah, the speed limit's 75. That's it. <laughs> so it's like, what words are on paper really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the big thing that people, I mean, that kind of goes into, we were talking about the Constitution earlier. It's like, those words mean basically nothing i mean a lot of people get mad and be like well, what the second amendment or this or that but at the end of the day those only mean as much as the people actually do anything about it so you know like words on paper are just words on paper That's as michael malice ref uh, refers to them as letters to santa without yeah. the police enforcing the laws <laughs> another good one i heard from michael malice which to be fair he quoted someone else he said the constitution is a gun-free zone signed for conservatives that's our boy ace <laughs> Oh, was that Ace that quoted That's that? Ace, yep. Because, yeah, Michael well, Malice said it, and you didn't know who it was. And I was like, yeah. oh, man, I wonder who said that. That was that Ace. Sorry, that's a good one. <laughs> that came from our boy Ace. Yeah, he was yeah. quoted on the Joe Rogan experience. Isn't it incredible? Oh, that's awesome. Hashtag <laughs> Tower Gang. <laughs> Tower Gang, baby. Represent. So I want to talk a little bit about criticism of anarchism. And what I consider to be my, like, the one that bugs me the most is that anarchists are utopian. Hmm. The reason it bugs me so much is because I've never once heard a single person who espouses anarchism as an ideology to claim that everything's going to be perfect. None, none of them claim that we're going to reach utopia by having a strictly voluntary society. In fact, they, they never come close to making that claim. A, a comparison I'd hear is, well, it's just curing one ill of the human condition. It's like if you cure cancer, nobody else is claiming that everything's going to be perfect. You shouldn't say cancer cures or people that want a cancer cure are utopian. They just want to remove an ill from the human condition that would make things ultimately make things better for people. What do you think your your the worst criticism of anarchism is or anarchism is that bothers you the most at least? I mean, I guess it's kind of hard to play the devil's advocate here because I mean, most I don't think I've ever really heard a meaningful criticism that now I have am not able to be like this or that. Because yeah, it's it's not utopian. The, the ironic thing is, I just want to fun aside. Literally before we started, I shared a post that was like. It was the 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 groove from a despicable me meme, and he's holding the gun. He's uh -huh. like, "Oh, you're an anarchist." He's like, "Well, we'll solve all the problems of the human condition right now." Right now, <laughs> yeah, I saw that one too. Yeah, and it's like I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's true. It's I mean, the ironic thing. I have to pick a fight, but the only utopian anarchists I've ever really known of are like Ancoms and Ansocks, and that's about I know, it. Uh, I know. I mean. I mean, to be fair, maybe I'm just like, you know, I don't really run through those bubbles. I only know cursory. So maybe they're in the same vein as us and they're like, well, this is just preferable. But whatever. I, I don't know. I don't necessarily you know. That's a, another aside. But yeah, no, it's not. It's not utopian. It is just a like it's a preference thing. It's just like how we went into earlier that we understand the state will never completely go away. It's kind of the same thing. You can really can make a perfect uh, metaphor for it to like racism where it's like, to, to you can racism will always exist hmm. but now we can decrease the degree to which it exists or we can you know like or it's it's or it can be like a useless racism where it's like it doesn't really mean anything like who cares like be the same ideas if we finally got to Ancapistan and there were like three four or five people who believed in the myth of authority that the people got to tell them what to do it doesn't matter because there's four of them like, yeah like okay <laughs> <laughs> same idea with racism it's just like if you had like if you know 
you live in a city that a, a few people's grandpas really don't like Filipinos. It's like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> they have no cultural impact. Yeah. It's like, whatever. But now when you have like 80% of them are and they're, and they're creating legislation to, you know, stamp down on Filipinos, it's a different right. story, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know? So, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it is, I feel like it's intellectually dishonest, but I, I mean, maybe I, I will hear criticism someday, but I, I don't, the big reason why I became an anarchist is because I dispelled all those criticisms. It's so logical, me, right? It was it was such a huge jump to anarchism from anarchism that it was just like, it for me it was just like because anarchism has all these connotations. It just seems so radical, so crazy that it's like to it's it's just hard to to buy into the idea that you know the bulk of human existence has been entirely wrong. Right. I mean, not even the bulk, I guess, evolutionarily speaking, it's actually a blip in the radar. But for our consciousness means, you know, like to our perspective, it seems like, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years of states. And, and for us to be like, there's nothing there. There's no grain of truth. It's literally just evil incarnate, you know, like from a logical perspective, it's just hard to buy into. You're like, there's no way all of my ancestors have been wrong. But yep, they have. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. Yeah. So, man, I had another thing I wanted to say or ask. Oh, oh, (laughs) going back. That's what it was. Going back to the uh, ANCOMs and ANSOCIAL or LIBSOCIAL, whatever whatever they call themselves. (laughs) I think that comes down to the – are you familiar with the constrained versus the unconstrained vision that Thomas Sowell wrote about? Uh, If I heard it, I would. I don't know it just by its title. I mean, I haven't done a ton of solo reading either because I kind of jumped way past him. He's more yeah. like when you're reading conservatarian stuff. <laughs> right. That's uh, on that for just a second. It what when I talked about skipping steps earlier, it is funny because now that I've so immersed in the Austrian school of economics and anarcho-capitalism, I since I've done that, I have gone back and read some of Soul stuff, and some of it is really good. His cultural politics are really good. Uh, but anyway, like, oh, go I ahead. feel like doing that. Not to get into too much of a side. I feel like doing that kind of like almost throws it off for you because for example i read uh uh what is it the the, J, the albert j knock uh the famous one i can't remember enemy of the sta- the, our enemy the state our enemy the state yeah. yes 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 uh, i read that like well after i was in cap i'd already i think i read conk and everything and like there were good parts that were good but for to me if anything i was kind of like Meh. disappointed yeah but yeah. like so I, I i guess it's one of those things where like because that was another thing I brought up recently. I read Noam Chomsky's, uh, I was doing the audio book of Noam Chomsky's uh, Manufacturing Man- Consent. And it's like the big part of that is how the, the media is just like, it's completely crooked. And for a lot of people, it's like a huge book. But like I listen to it, I'm like, this is kind of lame. Yeah. I mean, like, for me, this has but, been well established for me already. What are we doing here? Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like, yeah, they, they suck. And yeah. So it's the same idea as going back and reading like Friedman's Soul. I feel like Soul is a little bit different. I feel like he's. I feel like Friedman, if I tried to go read some of Friedman's stuff, not to knock on him, he was right. a, he was a visionary of his time. But if I went to back to read, I feel like a lot of it would enrage me because it's like he's still, I agree. Like, you know, he would, especially economically speaking, he oh, just, yeah. like, just kind of clung to a lot of stuff. You're like, why? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's, a, he's a Fed simp. He really yeah. is. Uh, yeah. But I was going to talk about the ANCOMs and the AMSOs. The, this constrained versus the unconstrained. You have a very constrained view of humanity. It's like humans are humans. There's no way we can have this, what they call the new socialist man or the new communist man. You cannot fundamentally change what a human is. You could change, you could put him in a three-piece suit. You can give him a book to read and educate him. At the end of the day, he's still a human being and he will not become this new communist man. And I think that 
the unconstrained vision where that somebody can be molded into a different type of human in the socialist utopia, that's why these socialists and communists think that you can have a communist utopia. Hmm. I don't think I've ever heard that one, honestly. That's a new one. That's interesting. I mean, it strikes me off the bat. I'd have to look at it more. It almost seems like a false paradigm, which I don't know if this was something Sowell or Soul was proposing, but I feel like it's just my, it might be looking at the question wrong, but it is interesting. Yeah. Cause uh, I do think they're, cause I, I definitely, I, I don't think there's nothing in me that says humanity can't change, but then to, I guess to, I feel like the implication there from a socialist communist perspective is that they're trying to maybe not necessarily force it, but they're trying to make it happen. I don't think like, you're not going to be able to have that kind of control, you know? So right, like, it's not like evolution. Yeah. yeah or, or I mean, whatever. it just naturally happens, but to, right. to have any sort of like, Oh, if we just eliminate the state, then magically we'll evolve to this. I don't know how you get from there to there, you know, without some sort of is force implied, you know, because that's the big thing with the ANSOX and comms is it's like the big question for me, for me, if I, I could be down with them, is because some of the ANSOX and com types, some of them are cool with private property. But now if they're saying huh. you can't have private property and that's a, somehow, okay, maybe they're not cool with it, but a lot of them don't think it's violence. That's the big right. thing. Because some. Right. Some ANSOCs and comms that don't say it's violence, but some say no to have private property or to claim ownership is a form of violence. Right. And that is where I'm like, uh-uh, not yeah. cool because now exactly. they're putting on a, a stance of now I can impose violence on you because mm -hmm. that's the implication from that. And it's like, ah, no, I mean, you can try. <laughs> Does it bother you whenever they make the distinction between personal and private property? Because it bothers me a lot. Oh, yeah, it does. It's, there's no meaningful difference. I agree. Oh, did you see that uh, debate? Not to go too much. I keep saying not to go too no, much. Go ahead. Uh, I like the sides. Uh, I don't know how long, long we're trying to make this go, so we can go forever. But I don't know if you saw there was a debate a while back with, uh, with I think it was Humor and Friedman. Uh, not David Obviously Friedman? not Milton. Yeah, uh, David. And um, it was – I can't remember the names. It was like two ANSOC and COM types. I don't remember specifically what mm. they were. No, I didn't see it. I'll have to check uh, it out. God, I'll have to find the link. It was actually really, really good. It was a good long debate. Um, and it was just, it's, was, it's, it, I, I think Keith Knight's debated them too before, or, you know, uh, one of them, one of the, one of those two, but anyways, there's probably someone out here. No, you know, if put in the comments or whatever, hook us up, yeah, you know, I don't know wh where you're posting that, but, um, yeah, no, it was really good. Cause it was like any time, even, even if you're trying to be as forgiving as possible, you go to, cause I legit was looking for good debates. And this is probably like some of the, one of the best debates I'd seen on the matter. And it was still like they just, just, just um, do circles around definitions and you know this or that. And it's like, well, what I mean by this is, this. it's like never can be, like they don't. It's it just it just seems like intellectual dancing if you whenever you're dealing with a socialist or a communist. Was and this a like, debate about no personal versus difference. private property? No, it was specific. It was it was a very general. I think it was like uh, ANCAP versus like uh, communist okay. or something along those lines. But they the obviously got into topic. that personal. Yes, yeah, so they got into that okay. a little bit. And it's just like they don't have any meaningful difference, you know, between the two. And it's just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a nightmare trying to debate them. Most of the time I just go, are you trying to impose violence on me? No. Okay. I don't care. Whatever. Right, you know, because at that point, yeah, it's just like, exactly. what economic system are you trying to, do you think we should use? It's more of just a preference state, a statement at that, at that point, you know? Well, I mean, the biggest thing, like I said, is the, pro the private property thing. If you say you're going to impose violence for private property, then they're like, uh-uh. That, yeah, that's not cool with me. I don't care. If you think magically once we get real estate, we're all going to voluntarily live in communes and it's just going to be great, then cool, whatever. You can have that thought. I don't care. But <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I don't I think, think there's a number of his uh, three generations. I could be quoting that wrong, but I think they believe that within three generations of a communist society, a new communist man will have arisen and will not want to own anything and will not, everybody will be pretty much a collective of, there won't be individuals anymore, from what I understand. I could yeah, be getting it wrong, so sorry, yeah. angry communist, preemptively, I apologize. I could be getting it wrong. Most of this knowledge is absorbed too. through osmosis from listening to other people talking about it. Yeah, and I've heard that before too, the three generations. Thing. Okay. And you know what? Like, I mean, with my with my philosophy, and if, if if things were how I wanted or how the world was magically how I thought it should be, then under that system they could go do that. I don't exactly. care. And you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe three generations from now we'll all see the light and we'll voluntarily, you know, communally do things together. Cool. I'm not even I'm not even necessarily against that. I mean, I just I'm just a thing of coercion. I I think naturally it probably wouldn't work out exactly like that. We wouldn't come together and communally work like that. I mean, in a sense, we would kind of communally work, but not as like, like a collective. Right. It would I mean, be voluntary associations the... from individual to individual. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and things like that kind of do naturally arise in free, you know, mutual aid systems, stuff like that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of getting way off in the weeds, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I just don't normally care too much about the whole like socialism, communism thing, as long as they're not trying to impose violence, as long as they're true anarchists, you know, yeah. then like whatever. I don't care if you just think magically the state will go away and we're all magically do that. Cool. I think I think you're wrong, but cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's like I had a tweet today. It's uh, ironically, Ankhamistan could only ever exist in Ankapistan. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yep. I mean, yeah, I guess it depends because it's uh, that's when you get into the issue of definitions. Like I was getting yeah, at that's earlier, true. that's a big thing with Ancoms and socks is there's never like any solid definitions, and it's like. So that's why you just have to really be like the big sticking thing is the property thing. And that's a big, aside from that, like, whatever, I don't care if you, who cares, <laughs> like, you know? All right, man. I think we're getting about time to wrap this thing up. So where can people find you, your socials, your podcast and all? Uh, I'm pretty much Jose Galison. Anywhere you can find me at, I'm on a uh, mines. I don't even really know how I just, just did mines. I have like nothing on there right now. Mines. Uh, I was on parlor at parlor before it got nuked. Facebook, Twitter. Parlor got uh, nuked. Oh, wait, what? that's right. It got taken off the Play Store and all that stuff, right? Yeah, I don't think it's back yet. I was actually kind of starting to dig it. I mean, it was like a, a MAGA, MAGA, rah, 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 but it was but it was uh, kind of like different. The setup. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, I didn't mind it. Um, I really liked for my purposes for sharing stuff. It lets you put the uh, – let your video play in the link mm. or in the post. So, But that's an aside. Uh, MeWe, um, um, MeWe, Twitter, Facebook, those are my big ones. Uh, you can also find me like my podcast is on YouTube on no way, Jose, um, basically anywhere podcasts are at every podcatcher. I'm also on the Liberty movement YouTube channel, which is another project, which is kind of like a rotating cast of different shows on there. But then I only put it's like the focus of that channel is uh, cultural, non-political Liberty stuff. So like uh, we have like a parenting channel on there. We have a movie, uh, review channel then i have my i put i try to like do like half my stuff to be that so like i'll put my like cultural stuff up there um you know stuff that i focus on that and then uh yeah um so they hit me up at the liberty movement global at gmail.com that's my uh, my email if you want to hit me up i'm on BitShoot as well with the liberty movement and yeah i think that's basically all my plugs i'm sure i'll think of something later oh yeah if you want to give me money uh patreon Patreon.com says no way Jose 2020. I'm also on end the fed dot app. Uh, and my handle on there is no way Jose 2020. That's a new app. Go check it out. If you're interested, it's uh, where you can kind of support, uh, people with crypto. So if you want to give me crypto in there, that'd be cool. 
that's, I think it's all I really got. Yeah, it's been fun being with you. All right, man, that was definitely a really good conversation. I enjoyed it. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode of the Individualist Podcast. Thank you very much, Jose, for coming on the show. We'll see you guys next time.